Blog Talk Radio. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest for rights. And so that's as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around. We aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. It is the great wrong that we've been trying to make right since the founding of this country, the racial divide between black and white. It took a civil war in many lives, including that of President Lincoln, to end slavery. It took more lives to end the segregation that came in the years after that. And this year, we marked the 50th anniversary of the Selma March, one of the great turning points of the civil rights movement. But that was far from the end of it. There was Watts in 1965. The riots across the country after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Los Angeles in 92. Then Ferguson last year and now Baltimore. The laws were changed, but in too many places, not the attitudes. The trials of O.J. Simpson forced us to recognize that whites and blacks can see the same things and come to different conclusions. Polls showed many whites thought Simpson guilty. Many African-Americans had an opposite view. I'll always believe that people of goodwill on both sides want us to be one country, one great community where the whole is greater than the parts. But the lesson of Baltimore is we are not there yet. This goes beyond a misunderstanding between police and African-Americans. This is about all of us. The divide remains 
and there is still much to do for people on both sides. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we are in search for justice all around the world. Tonight, make no mistake about it, racism, 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 alive and well in this country. And tonight, we take a look at the consequences of racism in America. Folks, hang on. This aims to be a good one. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, William Williams, and the AJC radio team tonight. As we tackle a subject, William, that is sincerely a troubling one, one actually where many believe we had gotten past this point uh, in, in, the, in this country, and, and that has been a wrong assessment on every level and tonight we deal with the racism that again uh, is alive and well in this country whether we're talking the starbucks incident where we're talking about police killing african-americans whether we're talking about the waffle house wrestling an african-american woman to the ground in a skirt grabbing on her down her blouse trying to get her to get on the ground are you kidding me because she asked for the number to corporate headquarters they called the police that is one of many outrageous things that are going on in this country right now uh with race yeah, you're well and you know we saw charlottesville last year which was uh i had now i had not seen anything like we've seen the demonstration in charlottesville uh the man that ran this car into the crowd of people um you know and that's just, again many so many examples of what's going on but we we've seen it now at at epic levels i mean where we've had local news stations here in colorado springs talk about the rise of hate groups and uh you know they haven't seen this 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 popularity in these these organizations these hate organizations to this height in uh in in history and it's sad it's sad what we're seeing as a country uh, dennis your thoughts again you could tell that we we've got some problems and i mean we really got to get into it and we got to talk about it and we got to be real i mean we can't keep uh, looking at this huge elephant in the middle of a, a, a room, and, and no one says anything about it. I mean, we have to talk about it. We got to get it out there. Uh, racism is alive, and uh, you know, you if you don't address it, if you don't uh, admit to it, if you try to cover it up, uh, nothing gets fixed. And I mean, that's why they're doing uh, classes. You know, you got a lot of things going on in reference to try to uh, educate people. I mean, it's not about the color of, a, of someone's skin. And unfortunately, you know, uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, blacks uh, being in uh, uh, different, uh, you know, businesses, uh, just like, you know, with, uh, you know, I think what's, what's the uh, one uh, coffee uh, place, uh, Starbucks. Starbucks. And, you know, so now he's doing uh, non-biased training. I commend him on that. I mean, the owner, I commend him. But again, why should that even have to be? Why? Why? Why do we? Why are we still in a position that we have employees or you know uh, people of other colors that still think that black people are a threat? I mean, I, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. I mean, 
Uh, we've got criminals in every background, in every race. I mean, we've got bad people in every race. I mean, but uh, yet it seems as though, you know, black people, if you look a certain way, I mean, if you're not light-skinned enough, if your hair is not combed the way they like your hair combed, I mean, or you're not dressed right accordingly or, or whatever they think you should be dressed, I mean, we've got problems. And I think that's sad when you got, you know, individual calling police on individuals who are not breaking the law, but, of course, they're black and then they're in the, supposedly in the wrong neighborhood. Come on. We, we got some major problems that we need to address. Well, the Philadelphia mayor who actually commented uh, on the, the situation at the Starbucks, uh, you're talking about a coward, and basically said, well, the guys were asked to leave more than once. They chose not to leave. The point is, Mr. Uh, mayor, or not the mayor, was the chief of police, the point is, they, what were they being asked to leave for? Exactly. You know, they were asked three times they should have left. You don't get it. And he happens to be African-American. That's a disgrace when I saw it last night. And uh, you're going to hear his voice talk that nonsense tonight. Get to the core of the problem. They didn't leave for one reason. Because nobody else was asked to leave that was sitting around on their laptops. And come to find out, they were waiting. To, actually, I believe it was some type of an interview, a business meeting. They were meeting with the guy from a business there. Wow. That's why they were there. Why you're jumping to a conclusion and saying, well, they, so I should have been asked to leave a business meeting when every other white person in there was not asked to leave. Why were they singled out? We already know the answer. You have white people from Starbucks outraged, saying, look, the only reason these men were kicked out because they were black. The people come to Starbucks all the time for hours. Yep, sitting on a laptop. At a laptop. Drinking some coffee. And if that was policy, they say, well, this is policy that they don't allow. That That's not true because the management of some of these Starbucks came forward and said they do it all the time. And the owner came out and said this was a disgrace of Starbucks, the CEO. And he was very sincere. To them, I'm talking to tears. So sincere that he was willing, I mean, and he did, I mean, to shut it down. I mean, you're talking money. Uh, that's a lot of money to close a business down for a day. I mean, nationwide, that's a lot of money. But he thought it was that important to make sure people understand that this is not the culture of Starbucks. Well, These are individuals who have their own, you know, their own, you know, bias. And they, they need to be taught that this is not how we do business. Well, we're going to yield ourselves to the Starbucks expert in the studio, Cliff Stewart. Your thoughts on the uh, procedures of Starbucks? We know without a doubt, if anybody knows about it, you would. Well, yeah, I mean, this is uh, Starbucks is set as an Internet cafe. That is what it, that was the whole idea of Starbucks, a coffee shop where you can draw more people to come in, get on the Internet for free. The more the 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 longer people are there, the more people are there, the more likelihood they are to buy something. That's why Starbucks was set up. That is what the founder of Starbucks. His whole idea was to draw people back to a community coffee shop atmosphere, give them free internet access to bring in you know the uh, younger, more tech savvy crowds, and for anybody to say. Uh, that, you know, these men were put out for any reason except that the manager called because they were they were black men. Everybody has admitted to that all the way up to the CEO and saying that it's wrong. So for somebody to come out now and say, well, 
you know, they were in their right to do that. That that just does not hold water, but it shows that um, in some places, the culture of America, some people are just not willing to let it go. And that's the problem. Like Dennis was saying, you know, it is the the 500-pound gorilla in the room that this is the issue. And if it's not dealt with, if it's not discussed, if we don't come together and talk about it and deal with it together, not to say, okay, well, we have some corporate group of uh, one one um, ethnic group and they talk about it but never bring the other people in, that is, that's not going to uh, bring about any change. It makes no sense. We have to come together deal with the issue, admit first off that, yes, there is a problem with racism in America, not that oh, it's over, it's gone. No, it's not. No, absolutely right. William, well, you know, they also have have faced new allegations here um, with racism where a barista has wrote a racial slur on a Latino customer's cup. So what they're starting to see is we can't, they can't turn their backs on these situations. In instances where they are racially uh, profiling and, and, and abusing customers. And uh, so Starbucks is now, you know, after the fallout of Philadelphia, this has happened. Uh, this was reported on uh, May 17th that, um, you know, this is this barista wrote this slur on the on Latino customer's cup. And so now they have to deal with this again. So there's more fallout. And I, but I think the thing is, is what the big thing is, is people are getting tired of it. These things are not just situations that just cropped up. These are things that have happened over time. And now people are saying, listen, with the, especially with social media, they're identifying it. They're capturing on video, and they're saying, listen, this is unacceptable behavior at this day and age. Why are we facing this? Why are we still dealing with racism? Why do you feel like the need to attack me because of the color of my skin? And I, I'm a paying customer. So now you just want to discriminate or, or basically say you don't belong here. And that's what, that's what they're, uh, you know, Starbucks is really addressing, saying, no, that's not right. No, absolutely right. And that's something, again, we will get into tonight even further. We came across an article regarding suicide among young people seems to be double among African-Americans based upon that they seem to be punished even more severely in schools than their white counterparts. Thus, the rise of suicide among African-American teens is double that of white youngsters based upon the very thing we're talking about tonight. Why are African-American children targeted more? Why are they punished more? Racial profiling? Forming conclusions with these black kids? This is an outrage. We're just getting started as we get ready to have the discussion. Consequences of racism in America. What do we do? We're going to take a look with and have a discussion Right after this, we'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. 
A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidents of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator. One in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game. One in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving. One in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting. One in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime. 
One in two men, one in three women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. Welcome back, folks, to AJC Radio, where tonight we deal with a discussion, racism in America, the consequences that follow, and where we are as a nation with racism. And we are not in a good place. Make no mistake about it. Uh, We are dealing with some serious uh, issues here in this country. Joining us here at the bottom of the hour is Professor Fegan. He's going to be joining us. Uh, He's a return uh, guest to our program here uh, and has a lot to say and does a, has a lot of insight dealing with racism uh, and the effects on this nation. We're looking forward to the conversation with him. Also joining us uh, at, at a quarter till the top of the hour, Latanya Nicole Goldsby. Uh, she is the co-founder of Black Lives Matter Cleveland Chapter. And I'll tell you what, she has a lot to say. And we respect her voice, what she's doing, and what Black Lives Matter is doing, trying uh, to make an impact. And they've made one. Uh, and their voices, William, without question, has been heard. It continues to be heard regarding these issues facing racism in this country. Absolutely. You know, it's, this is a, a huge movement that we're seeing, and we're seeing more and more people of, of different backgrounds participating. So, yes, absolutely. The things that they're seeing on social media, the things we've faced here the past years with uh, African-American males losing their lives, uh, unarmed African-American males losing their lives to, to police officers, this time out and that's what they're saying the whole movement is saying time out for this this is a very serious issue uh you can't talk about uh racial profiling doesn't it doesn't exist these things are happening we're seeing it more and more and uh and so yeah black lives matter is an extremely powerful movement and something very much needed and let me make one thing clear as we address this show on racism tonight look it is equally outrageous for African-Americans, if you are one of them, that discriminate or hate white people. Absolutely. It's equally as wrong. It's equally unsettling that you can't go out and kill. If it was a, if it was a black cop out here choking a white man to death without cause on the corner of New York City, we would be equally as outraged because it's unacceptable. The problem is, is that the majority lately of what we have seen, and that's why we're saying that this is an issue, racism, the division in this country, the treatment of people in this country is clear. You don't have to guess about it. You don't have to wonder, well, it is what we see with our eyes every single day, whether it's corporate America, whether it's no matter what walk of life, racism seems to come into play whether it's the real estate market, whether it's the financial market, whether they feel like African-Americans. I think we talked one time, one of the members of Congress came on talking about uh, making things equally acceptable opportunities to African-Americans, bringing African-American banks to local communities. Why? 
to give opportunities because they don't have to go in every time they want a loan for business and have to get turned down because they're black. It's unacceptable. Dennis, your thoughts? And that's true. I mean, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, uh, we want to make sure people understand that this show is about justice. No matter how you look at it, I mean, racism is bad. I don't care which side it's on. And again, I think a lot of it comes about is because of, you know, the, the different cultures, uh, you know, uh, the different races, not understanding each other. You know, uh, everybody's different. And we have to learn to accept the difference. And we have to learn to come together and work together. But when you got uh, individuals, no matter what, uh, this is the way you need to act. This is the way you need to walk, talk, eat. And if you don't do that, then uh, you're not following the status quo and you're wrong. So, again, uh, this show is to make sure people understand. I mean, if you look at the news, if, if, you, if you listen, if you read, if, you'll see that they're, 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 we do have a problem in America when it comes to racism. And you live under a rock if you think that's not happening. So we're going to address those issues tonight. Uh, folks, feel free to dial in to 646-200-0628, 646-200. 0628 uh, as we begin to really have a discussion that folks seem to be uncomfortable having. Uh, I don't know why they're uncomfortable unless there's an issue. If there wasn't an issue, what, honestly, you should be able to have this conversation, whether you're white, black, no matter what nationality, color you are, and say, we need to talk about it. Absolutely. But when I don't want to talk about it, I want to give an excuse for it, I want to excuse it away. There's a problem of racism. Perhaps with you. Something you need to take a look at at yourself. Let's play this clip really quick. We were talking about the Waffle House situation. Now, this is just the action of what happened in that Waffle House with this young lady. And uh, this is something that we definitely have to uh, that we definitely have to look at because if we don't pay attention, we are going to continue to have a problem. We're going to continue you know, if you can't have dialogue about it, at least the hope of that is to bring people together, to say, look, we can talk about it. I'll tell you what. I said this before. I'll say it again. Racism is a taught behavior, no matter how you look Absolutely. at it. When I was a little kid, I think I was in third grade. Now, I wasn't taught that white people were bad. I was taught people were people. I was a little youngster. We was in Germany and went out to the playground. The guy was getting on the swing set and the sandbox and the, the tornado uh, slide, they called it back then. And uh, there was a little white kid out there. I didn't say, wait a minute, should I approach this white kid? I just wanted somebody to play with. So when I got to the yard, I said, hey, man, you want to play? Let's, uh, let's go to the side. And he said, okay. And he's running beside me, beside with me. We go to the sandbox. We play a little bit there. We pull out the marbles. We play. Hey, there's no issues. Life is good uh, as a second grader. And uh, I remember there was no issues. And they're definitely, and I understand in my part, my mother never taught me to treat people differently, to be nice, to be respectful. And that's why it wasn't an issue when I got to the playground. When it becomes an issue, it's what people are telling their kids at home. That's just because you can't, you don't uh, uh, inherit racism. It's taught behavior. Let's take a listen to the Waffle House debacle. Here we go. You don't even hear that. Yeah, 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 yeah,
Unacceptable, inexcusable, outrageous behavior by a police officer, a number of them wrestling an African-American woman, and I saw the video, to the ground where her dress is coming up. He's got his hand down her shirt, trying to pull her up. She says, why are you putting your hands on, it should be sexual assault on that officer. And I'm telling you, she asked for the corporate number because the way she was treated was she wanted some waffles. Are you telling me they called the police on her, wrestled her to the ground in front of the public, humiliating her, and you wonder why they outcry? That's one of thousands of incidents that continue to happen over and over again. And I'll tell you what, we will not be silent. On this station, on this organization, we will not be silent to this type of nonsense. And I'll tell you what, folks, you can say what you want. It's getting worse and worse every day. You're seeing something. As soon as the Starbucks incident happened, the Waffle House happened. Then another Waffle House happened, which you'll hear later, where the cop has this youngster who took his sister to the prom. Um, They went to get something to eat. He's choking this young man around his neck. Not because he did anything. You happen to be black. Unacceptable. Right now, we're joined by Professor Fegan, who we consider a respectable gentleman without question, and with some insight on this topic that I'm sure you're going to learn something tonight, as we are honored and privileged uh, for the professor to grace our station tonight in this program, Consequences of Racism in America and we're very glad to have you. Professor, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor. As you probably heard, the firecrackers go off here uh, as we continue. This issue of racism is, is since we talked to you last, uh, seems to have escalated out of control and continues to do so. I'll, I'll give you the floor to introduce yourself to our listeners, uh, and we'll get into this dialogue. As shortly, we'll be joined by Latanya Goldsby, the uh, co-founder of Black Lives Matter from the Cleveland chapter. Uh, she'll be joining us as well. Thank you so much for taking time, Professor, out of your schedule. Give us your thoughts on this, but introduce yourself to our listeners. 
Yes, I'm Joe Fagan. I'm a sociologist at Texas A&M University, and I've been working on systemic racism issues since the 1960s. And as for what's going on right now, I don't think there's any evidence that white's racist framing of black people or of the society's changed much over the last couple of years. But the Trump election and the whole Trumpist movement has allowed, encouraged whites to act out of that white racist framing in more overt and blatant ways. There's actually research on that that shows that whites now feel more liberated to act on their racist views they've always had. Oh, no, I, I, I agree with you on that. And that's been the topic that a lot of people are talking about, is that uh, this starts from the top. Uh, and we've seen it uh, over since this election campaign season started up till now. We have seen a lot of stuff. Uh, whether you go back to the, I believe, uh, William, the, uh, the uh, white supremacist in, with the Char- Charlottesville. Charlottesville, where the young lady was killed, white young lady was killed, who was protesting right. racism. So we say all the time, there's a lot of uh, white folks out there that hate racism equally as African Americans or Hispanics do. Uh, so we're not one to put them, everybody, in the same boat. Uh, but that type of response from our administration... Uh, that I thought was uh, unacceptable uh, to not call out racism where it is and where it stands, and especially, in the, I believe, in the event uh, where a life is lost or, or, or you have a national outcry because someone was treated poorly or assaulted in the midst of cops coming to an eating establishment uh, to, to treat people like that in, in the Starbucks uh, incident. I'd like to get your thoughts on that as the CEO uh, closed every Starbucks down for a day of education uh, on how to treat people and not to be racially charged towards anybody. What are your thoughts on that move by the CEO, which I thought he was very sincere as I saw his interview? What statement did that send to this country that this is not going to be tolerated, at least by a great number of people? Well, it's certainly a, a small step forward. And just imagine what it would be like if we had a president who would do that with all the agencies of the federal government. You know, I'm 80 years old, and this is the first time since I've been alive that we've had a white nationalist as a president, an overt white nationalist, white supremacist, who articulates some of the most brutally racist aspects of the white racist framing that's common across this country. He's also an admitted sexual predator, right, as president of the United States, the most powerful position on the planet. Right. So he's setting this example for other whites to feel free to act out of that more extreme version of the white racial framing of this society. And your thoughts, uh, Professor, how do we – I mean, what do we say to the folks who, who took the time to, uh, for whatever reason, they went out, uh, folks voted for President Trump. Uh, the thought is that what people are saying, there's a lot of people that have regretted it uh, based upon the fact of the divide that has happened. And then, again, it's not just African-Americans. You're talking about down to the outrage, the thousands of people that took the streets 
uh, in marching uh, in, re- in regards to the Muslim ban uh, situation that happened where members of Congress were at the airports in tears as people who have been in this country were not allowed to get on a plane uh, to go back to their destinations. That was a huge outcry. And I think what you say, there's been a pattern here that is difficult to overlook. From day one, we have seen this type of behavior, and that whether it's the Hispanic community, who his approval rating, uh, this administration's approval rating is very low because of just the statements that you say that you can't get back. And, and it goes beyond a campaign slogan. This affects the lives of people. And then when you're talking about DACA and those folks feeling like that, that this administration doesn't care, that's a lot of stuff just in the, two, in the few things I've named that will start a type of attitude in this country across the board. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the last time we got major change in racist performances of whites, it took large-scale civil rights movements in the 1960s. And you're not going to get major change in this country without large-scale demonstrations again. Every weekend, frequently across the country, you're not going to see major change. And what do you think, Professor, where have, have, have the, has the African-American community, are they not aware that this is what it's going to take? We'll see marches, we'll see demonstrations, uh, but then it kind of fades out. Then it starts up again. Then it fades out. I think what I'm hearing from you is that it cannot fade. It must continue aggressively as it, did, as it does from day one. Yes, if you look at American history, the the two big times when we got major change, when slavery uh, was attacked by the abolitionist movement and eventually fell, and then when Jim Crow fell because of the 1960s movements. Uh, black Americans have always carried the, the banner of democracy and liberty and justice high in this country. And it's only when black Americans organize, unfortunately, only when people of color organize that we get major change in this country. No, without question. Yeah, I agree so much with that. I mean, it's, uh, it's going to take more than just, you, you know, uh, just individuals speaking out. I agree. It's going to take a, uh, you know, a movement again. Uh, we're going to have to, you know, people got to get together and, and really voice their uh, disconcern with, you know, uh, the actions that, that are coming against them. I mean, if you're, if something happens, like you're talking about that, you know, when, when we did have, you know, have the big, you know, huge, you know, you know, you know, thousands of people out there protesting against, uh, you know, what they felt was wrong and, and, and it worked. And so I agree with you when you say that, I think we, we, we really got to come together. Uh, but again, you got to find the leaders uh, and, and leaders. I mean, they got to be willing to step out and be willing to do whatever it takes to voice, uh, to be a voice for the, the African-American or uh, the, the people of uh, color. And until we get that, I mean, I think Martin Luther King was, uh, you know, was truly uh, about that. But until we get that again, uh, you're right. It's probably very little is going to happen, but I truly believe that it's going to happen. I mean, we just, like you said, we got to come together and say, okay, enough is enough. 
Yeah, there are a lot of angry people, and it's not just black folks. You know, they're Latinos who would like to see us move more aggressively toward democracy and liberty and justice. And there are growing numbers of, of white young people, exactly. you know, who are really angry about the school shootings and want to see some major changes in the country, too. It's just the problem is getting all these folks together on the same page, right, and yeah. getting them to protest and pressure the members of Congress, that's where it's got to start, right? You're not going to get change from Trump. You're going to get change from Congress. And we just need a better Congress, and we need people protesting and pressuring Congress to do the right thing on liberty and justice for all. And that's true, and that's the importance of uh, voting. Uh, I mean, wow, we really got to push the issue. I mean, it's primaries are coming, and uh, of course, we're getting we're ready to vote for uh, congressmen and women, and then again, uh, you know, a president. So, again, I mean, if, if if people don't get out and vote, and I mean, we push that issue on the show, uh, you, you got to vote. I mean, if you don't vote, uh, you're not going to make a difference. Uh, we can, like you said, we can be angry uh, forever, uh, but until we take that anger and focus it and, and, and put it in a position where we can make change, and how do you make change? You get out there and vote. So. Uh, again, I, everything you say, I've been on the show before and you were on the show, uh, your, your, your knowledge, I mean, it's, it's, it's tremendous and, and we truly appreciate uh, your views. Professor, I had one quick question for you. Sure. I agree 100% with what you were saying. I think the, the evidence of the minority movement was seen when President Barack Obama was elected. I think that's probably one of the most significant things we've seen as a country you know, for unity. But what it seems like, you know, there's those that are out there that are angry. They seem to feel like, you know, their their voice doesn't matter. Or they seem to feel like, you know, I, I don't know. It seems like it goes up and down. How can we change that? How can we change, you know, people's views and perspectives and say to feel like they, if they get involved and stay involved, things can happen. It, you know, it's, it, it, it will continue. This domino effect of change can continue instead of this stopping and starting type of attitude. Well, first you've got to give them a good dose of truthful history. You know, most Americans of all backgrounds, especially younger Americans, don't get a good education on the civil rights movement and how it helped bring down Jim Crow in the 1950s, 60s, and into the 1970s. And most don't get a good history of, of the abolitionist movement that brought down slavery or the 200,000 black men who volunteered for Mr. Lincoln's army at a critical moment. And those 200,000 mostly former slaves provided the U.S. Army that put down the Confederate Army. Uh, you know, first you have to get a good history into people's heads. So they know that movements make a difference. I guess the soundbite is that eternal organization is the price of liberty. There's an old cliche, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty, but it's really eternal organization. You've got to keep organizing if you want your liberty and you want freedom and justice. Because this country is founded in and grounded in systemic racism. And a majority of whites prefer it that way and will prefer it that way until we're all dead and our grandchildren are dead. It takes movements 
of people of color joining with the minority of whites who support change to really bring racial change. Well, definitely well spoken. Uh, and those are the things. It's going to take work, and it's going to take people coming together, and we need to get the word out to the African-American community, to the minority of whites that support, as you say, this type of movement. Because if we let the other fester, uh, it will be out of control, and it will get worse and worse, and we'll see it at a level, or our kids will see it at a level when we're long gone, that it's going to be very difficult to live with. It has to be a cry uh, and voices crying out for that change, as you said, on a consistent basis. And, and we, have some, we have some good models. The Black yeah. Lives Matter movement, right? Yes. I agree. I agree. We're going to be joined by her here. Uh, uh, Professor, I'd like you to come back if you got a few more minutes with us. She should be joining us shortly. Uh, okay. And I'd like to get your perspective from a few things she's going to say. She has a story to tell, uh, but we're going to do our best to respect your time. I know you're there on the uh, uh, the, the East Coast. We want to respect your time where you're at and uh, definitely uh, respect your uh, rest of the evening as far as wrestling and doing whatever you need to do. So we're coming right back after the break. We should be bringing her on. And uh, if you'll join us for a few more minutes, and then I'll give you an opportunity to tell folks how to get involved, how to get to your seminars, how do we get your books, all of that good stuff. We're going to deal with that on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio, and we're addressing consequences of racism in America and the impact on a nation. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trials and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people. 
4.5% of the world's total population, but house 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we can walk it out. Welcome back to AJC Radio. Tonight we address an issue, a troubling one, racism in America, the consequences of racism the impact on a nation we address tonight. We've been privileged to have Professor Fegan, Joe Fegan, who I consider to be an expert on the racial issues facing this nation. And I'll tell you what, he's given us some insight tonight. Right now we have a profound honor to bring on our show Latanya Goldsby, co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Cleveland chapter founder of Black Connect and cousin of Tamar Rice, the young, the young man that was shot down and lost his life uh, at the hands of a police officer. And Latanya, if I can call you that, welcome to the program. We are honored and privileged to have you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. And we appreciate you. And uh, the Professor Fagan, uh, uh, I am so impressed with you. Latanya, and, and what you have gone through, your story, uh, and the professor's uh, going to hang on here with us. He's given us some true insight thus far, uh, and uh, he may have some questions. You may have some questions of him, but 
Uh, Professor, thank you for coming back with us. And if you have to go, please let us know, uh, and we'll get the information that folks can get a hold of you and and read your stuff and and whatever's available out there for people to learn uh, what you you have offered and your knowledge on this topic. We appreciate it so very much. Okay, I can stay on for 15 minutes or so. Okay, good deal. And uh, uh, we definitely want to get your opinion on Latanya. Latanya, introduce yourself to our listeners, and uh, I'll give you the floor right now to tell us uh, uh, what drove you to this point for Black Lives Matter, what drives you every day. Uh, it's clear for justice, but I'm going to let the folks hear it from you. You have the floor. Thank you. Well, just to give folks a little insight as to who I am, um, my name is Latanya Goldsby. I am the cousin of Tamir Rice. Um, Tamir was 12 years old. Um, he was gunned down in the Cleveland Park Cudell Recreation Center in November of 2014 by a Cleveland police officer, Timothy Lohman. Um, You know, we had heard about these stories multiple times um, with the cases of Trayvon Martin and, um, you know, seeing how that case played out in in the media and how Trayvon was demonized and in the process. And it never occurred to us that we would be stepping in those shoes. Um, that was something that was totally a shock. You would never think that the police would shoot down a kid within two seconds of actually approaching him. Um, so, you know, that that's where we were. Um, we found ourselves now within the movement. Um, Samaria now becoming a mother of the movement and having to advocate for the murder of her son. Well, um, I can't imagine, uh, Latanya, that type of tragedy. It hit me. I'm in Colorado. When I saw it on the news, um, it was very troubling because, you know, if I'm at a park alone, and this is how I know it to be from what I've learned, you got a 12-year-old on a swing, you're going to swing. There's nobody in the vicinity where anyone is in danger. No. Cops, have, cops are in a vehicle. Uh, there's some more research or questions that need to be asked. The kid wasn't approaching them. He wasn't running towards them. Yeah. And I don't right. know how many. When I was a youngster. I had a play gun at the park. We played cowboys and Indians. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If I'm not trying to know what a real gun is. There's a problem, and at what cost, uh, and the cost of a life, Cliff? Yeah, I think that um, the, I mean, it's it's tragic, and Latanya, our heart goes out to you for your family's loss, and I think that the the worst part about it is the lack of accountability. You have from the beginning of the situation with young Tamir Rice, where uh, you know, the line, the nine eleven dispatcher is saying, you know, hey, there's this kid out here. I think it's a play gun. The officer had that. I mean, besides the fact this is a young child in a park playing, uh, the first thing that should have gone through the officer said, hey, the kid's in the park, like Lamont said. They're playing Cowboys and Indians. Uh, so pretty much, you know, be advised. 
this is a kid out here playing. But the lack of accountability when it comes down to it, that you have all of this evidence, then you, you have these officers who are allowed to say, well, hey, I failed my life or the life of uh, my partner or someone in the public mm-hmm. danger. And they can't block are able to to basically get away with with murder because they right. make that statement and that is what we as the public have to uh have to have to deal with we have to address is that when these type of things happen if there is enough if there's some accountability then these officers will be more careful will take it upon themselves to not just quickly say hey you know well there's another whatever off the street, another, you know, fill in the blank, another black kid off the street, another Hispanic off the street, another uh, Puerto Rican, some more, some minority that they just say, well, hey, you know, he's probably going to grow up to be a criminal or something to this effect. These are the type of things that drive this. It's the culture um, of, of some members of law enforcement that, hey, I'm not going to be held accountable. I'm going to be able to get away with this. So that is why it continues to happen. I think that is the worst tragedy is that you lose a loved one, but then uh, you lose a loved one wrongfully and no one is held accountable for it in the end. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that leads us to the conversation of what does community policing look like? Um, you know, we often find, find out that half, if not all of the police officers that service our community don't even live in our community. And those mm-hmm. were some issues that we brought up that if that officer that approached Tamir, Officer Timothy Loman, had been familiar with Tamir as a resident of that community and a member of that community, he wouldn't have been so quick to respond in the manner in which that he did. No, absolutely right. And uh, Latanya, we're going to pivot real quick. I'd like to get the professor's thoughts. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Professor Figgin, has joined us tonight uh, because he is, again, uh, I believe, to be an expert on this matter, author of over 200 research articles, 60-plus uh, books on racial, gender, urban issues. Uh, amongst his books are uh, Systematic Racism, uh, Racial Theories, uh, Jim Crow's Legacy, The Lasting Impact of Segregation. I can go on and on. Uh, and, mm-hmm. Professor, tell the folks how to get this information uh, out of respect for your time, and give us your thoughts really quick. I know you commented on Black Lives Matter earlier, your respect for them. Uh, what would you say to Latanya regarding her, her fight that lies ahead to institute change? Let me add to what he said before, Latanya, uh, sympathy and respect for your laws. Thank you. you know, that I think you're absolutely correct that one key thing that needs to change is policing needs to be community policing. There probably should be a law that all police officers have to be from the community, which means you're going to have to get into an educational and training program to create more police officers who aren't living somewhere way the hell away from the community. Mm-hmm. And we also need to get police officers out of their cars and into the neighborhoods walking the beats like the old officers did mm-hmm. so they get to know people in the communities. You don't get to know people driving by in a car all the time. Right. Uh, we, 
that was an issue coming out of the civil rights movement in the 60s, the black power movement, was to get police officers back on the beats in the community and make them live there, make sure they know the communities. That way they don't just shoot anybody on sight they think is dangerous, and whites have a tendency to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, black Mm -hmm. boys and men to an average white person in this country automatically look dangerous because those whites have been trained in the white racist framing of black boys and men since they were tiny. Uh, so we got a problem. we got a white problem in this country with changing white framing, but I think your practical solution is a good one, is to we need community policing. Mm-hmm. Professor, how do folks get your literature, your information? Is there a website they can go to? Because I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, this information uh, is informative information, but it's a lot of knowledge. How do we get yes, it? We, there are two ways. One is we have a blog on racism issues, social science and racism, called racismreview.com. One word, racismreview, and then .com. Also, I have a Twitter feed where I review a lot of research on racism, which is just at symbol and then Joe and then F-E-A-G-I-N. So on Twitter or our blog is one way to find out more about my books and research and my colleagues who work on racism issues. Okay. Now, Professor, we're going to, if it's okay with you, uh, we plan on partnering with you as AJC, the Yes Calls organization, to get the word out about your literature, your information. Uh, We'll post something at our website. We will follow up with you periodically. If there's anything else you need to add that we need to put up for you, uh, of course, we'll do it, uh, and it, it may cost you one thing, uh, because we believe in what you're doing, and we appreciate your efforts uh, to address the issue that impacted that you. We appreciate it. Yeah, those those things are about all you need to put okay. up on me. But I think you also need to do a real tribute to Black Lives Matter. Thank you. Because the women and men active in Black Lives Matter give a model for what I was talking about earlier. It's about organizing for change. And without okay. people organizing, you're not going to get change. Exactly what you just exactly to the point you made earlier. And uh, we intend to uh, also bring Latanya into the family, uh, if you will, as we fight with her for her causes and as an organization. Uh, couldn't get better advice than that. Oh, good luck to you, Latanya, and you guys take care. I'll talk to you later. Right, thank thank you, you so much. Bye-bye. Okay, Latanya, thank you so much. Uh, he has a great deal of respect for you, just as we do. Uh, there were some, a couple of things, I, and I want to say to you, uh, my sincere condolences uh, of for Mayor Rice, and a great profound level of respect for you uh, and what you're doing. Uh, you've been through some things. And, uh, tell us a little bit more about what you've dealt with. We see here, um, I guess, uh, you've had some other issues that affected you personally that happened that has you on the battle uh, for justice. Tell the folks about that, some of those things. 
Yeah, well, you know, being an a organizer and an activist in this movement, you come up under a lot of scrutiny, <laughs> a lot of criticism. So there's been, you know, a lot of uh, activists that are active in the movement that have come up under personal physical attacks. Um, I myself, my um, son-in-law was murdered um, two months before my grandson was born. And this all within the same um, time span of me um, developing the Black Lives Matter Cleveland chapter, becoming the co-founder of the chapter, and organizing within the city. Um, So there's been, you know, a lot of devastation in Cleveland. We've had multiple cases of police brutality here locally, um, just to name a few, the names that come to mind from the list are Timothy Russell and Melissa Williams. They were involved in the 137 shot case. I'm not sure if you all are familiar with that, but Cleveland police officers opened fired 137 rounds into the bodies of Timothy Russell and Melissa Williams. And, and um, the homeless, uh, these were the homeless African-Americans, right? Yes. I got you. Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt yes. you. No, you're okay. Then there is the death of Tanisha Anderson. Tanisha Anderson was a female mental um, challenge person who encountered um, two police officers who physically um, slammed her on her head in front of her family, and she ultimately succumbed to her injuries. Um, There's the case of Brandon Jones, Brandon McLeod. Brandon McLeod was 15 years old. Um, police executed a fraudulent warrant and entered the premises. And then upon them entering, Brandon was shot 20 times. You have the case of Tyree King, as well as John Crawford III. We're all familiar with John Crawford, who was patronizing at Walmart in Beaver Creek, purchasing Walmart products when he was shot down by a Beaver Creek police officer. Um, Henry Green. Sam DeBose, um, Dan Ficker, Luke Stewart, who was murdered in Euclid, Ohio. Um, the police officer actually got inside his car um, and shot him. So, you know, these, these tragedies that we are seeing occurring are occurring because due to the lack of accountability um, when police officers violate policies and commit murder. And what we're going to do, Latanya, we're going to get into some of those cases because I understand you wanted to discuss some of those. On, and we're going to get into that. I, I'd like to go through Tanisha Anderson, 37 years old, November 13th, uh, cold night in Cleveland. A young assistant, Jennifer, said and kept uh, that she uh, was having one of her bad days, wearing only in a nightgown with no shoes on, was disoriented, right. kept trying to leave the house. Uh, that's not someone you shoot dead. Uh, exactly. Joel Anderson, who as a child had been his, his twin his two excuse me, had been his two sisters, appointed protector, walking into school every day, warning off strangers, uh, was the one that made the nine one one call. Two sets of police officers arrived instead of an ambulance. Anderson seemed mm-hmm. home for some time, but then the family called again. Uh, the second set of cops uh, they claimed were rude and more uh, brusque. They were Detective Scott Alt, seven year veteran. And his partner, Brian Meyer, had told the family to stay in the house. Uh, 
They went further within a half hour of the second visit. Denise Anderson was lying on the patient, handcuffed, and not free. How does that happen? How does that happen? You got a lady, in a, if I'm if I'm correct, in a nightgown. Yeah. There's no there's no weapon. How does she? Just... No weapon at all. And and that fight. How is that? How is that? progressed, uh, LaTanya, that issue? Um, you know, I just ran into Tanisha's sister the other day um, here. We had um, just last week during Police Week, which is a national um, gathering of police officers across the country where they honor their fallen, so, uh, fallen victims, I'm sorry, fallen police officers who have been murdered in the line of duty. So BLM Cleveland organized an event around that, coined the the title, The Sea of Red, in honor of the victims of police brutality, um, whose blood has been shed in the streets across the country. And she she showed up, and we had a, you know, we had a um, brief conversation, just getting back in touch with with, with each other. And, you know, she said that, you know, she's still dealing with the loss of her sister. Um, Tanisha had children who are now without a mother. Her mother is without her daughter. So when you call the police to do a wellness check or a safety check on your family that you know is having mental issues and then they show up and physically assault and in the end kill her, like, that's totally unacceptable. It's totally unacceptable. That's not what community policing looks like. Oh, absolutely right. Um, yes. Yeah, that's not what community policing looks like. So we're still actively um, engaging around those those cases. Um, the officers were never fired. Um, you know, those officers are put on different type of desk duties where they're still able to receive payment their paychecks, um, even after they've murdered somebody. And that, that's, that's outrageous. And Latanya... Very uh, outrageous. We're going to get into more. How much time do you have to spend with us this evening? Um, I'm free. <laughs> okay, we're going to get into more conversation here. Um, let me just tell our folks a little bit here. We're going to go to break, uh, Latanya, and we're going to come back with you. We are honored to have you tonight, and I intend... Uh, we intend as AJC Radio and a Just Cause to join in the fight uh, because it takes people and organizations to come together, as, as the professor stated so clearly, uh, to implement this change. You will always have a platform here as well uh, as the black, the black matter. We have a great deal of respect for you. And let me just tell our audience this. For the past three and a half years, Latanya has, has taken on the role as an outspoken activist, community organizer, deeply rooted in seeking changes in the way that local police departments treat and interact with black communities and unarmed civilians. Through her activism and community organizing, she helped build Black Lives Matter, Cleveland chapter, where she continues to fight seeking changes uh, through creating legislation that will hold police officers accountable for violating police policy, breaking police protocol and procedures, which results in the use of deadly force and or excessive force without justification. And as LaTanya just stated, she's the CEO, founder of Black, Light, of Black Leaders Across Cleveland Connected, which is an organization designed to unite people of all nationalities, 
in the greater Cleveland area and around the world. We stand for justice, unity, peace, equality, and reform. But most of all, we stand for the victims of police brutality. Those are the words of Latanya Goldsby. And Latanya, again, honored to have you tonight. We're coming right back on the other side of the break. As AJC Radio deals with the consequences of racism. We've heard a few of them. We're going to get into those victims of those cases that Latanya is working on and the tragedies that followed these situations. This is AJC Radio dealing with consequences of racism impacting a nation. We'll be right back. So most people don't understand the importance of exercising and eating right. Most people think it's about getting super buff or eating grass to keep that perfect bod. But to those who believe that are wrong. Exercising regularly and getting the right balance of nutritious food leads to a common diagnosis known as healthy. Now healthy may sound mainstream and boring, but it's real. It improves your immune system to prevent sickness, boosts self-confidence and controls body weight, gives you energy and improves your overall happiness. So next time you think that's not bad, think again and be the best you you can be. Our criminal justice system is really violating our values as a people. Uh, We as a nation have this land of the free, uh, this nation that that, uh, savors liberty and those ideals, really that were lights into the globe, uh, now incarcerates more human beings than any other nation on the planet. Like any system, it always needs refining adjustments, and I think that's where we are now. Um, As far as policing is concerned, I think policing in America has done a very effective job over the last uh, two decades because crime is down. Crime is down significantly throughout the country, with some exceptions. Um, And I attribute that to smarter policing, better policing, more effective policing, proactive policing. Policing is in some sense a victim of its own success in the following sense. And that is that crime rates have plummeted in the last 30 years. At the same time, public support, public trust, um, public confidence in policing over the same time period has remained flat. The public actually cares a great deal more about how they are treated by public authorities, legal authorities, then they care about the effectiveness of police. My first experience getting uh, hit with tear gas and rubber bullets was on August the 12th, uh, which really radicalized me in a way to want to pursue uh, reform efforts, not only just in Ferguson, but all throughout St. Louis and the entire country. Because, you know, the experience of getting tear gas and hit with rubber bullets was so unbelievable. You know, I... I couldn't imagine something like that could happen in modern day America. If your intention is to, you know, jail massive numbers of people, if you believe that, you know, our prison uh, is an effective means of dealing with the myriad uh, social needs of the African American community, then then, it, then it's pretty effective. Now, I know no one would come out and say something like that. You know, that, that sounds insane. Um, but in fact, there's a long history in this country of dealing uh, with problems in the African American community through criminal justice system, criminalizing social problems in a way that we don't do in other communities. There are about 140,000 people uh, in the United States who are serving life without parole sentences. The number of people serving life without parole sentences in Western Europe is 12. These very long sentences uh, that are being served is a very unusual feature of American criminal justice. They serve very little public safety effect. 
really good study shows that we'd have probably 20% less poverty in the United States if we weren't over-incarcerating at the rate that we are because it has such an impact on people's future earnings when they get out of prison, has an impact on their children uh, and their overall quality of life uh, for their families. But in addition to all that, uh, it is uh, disproportionately punishing minorities in this country as well. There's no difference between blacks and whites for using drugs or even dealing drugs, but yet African-Americans are about almost four times more likely to be arrested for that. Well, I I think our criminal justice system um, is working as intended. Um, It is only broken to the extent that our, our society is broken. Uh, I want to turn to our Jeff Pegues, our CBS News Justice and Homeland Security correspondent. Uh, Jeff, let me ask you about the climate uh, law enforcement is facing right now. Uh, We've talked a little bit here about the racial kind of conversation and the context, uh, but what is it that law enforcement has faced here? Have tensions between law enforcement officials and communities of color uh, changed? Have they grown? Have they eased? Because... President Obama has certainly tried to have conversations started about some of these racial issues. Well, no doubt about it. These are very difficult times for law enforcement. The men and women in blue across this country feel, and I've talked to many of them directly, I've talked to their representatives, they feel like they are under scrutiny like never before. Uh, There was talk about the Ferguson effect, uh, that uh, this cell phone video, videos of police in action uh, has prompted uh, this outcry for change. And as a result, police officers across this country are feeling second-guessed, Monday morning quarterback. Uh, And uh, as the basis for my book, I went to Chicago, which is a city uh, in many ways in turmoil now when it comes to how law enforcement is dealing with uh, the black community and how that city is recovering after the shooting of Laquan McDonald. You remember that he was a 17-year-old who was shot 16 times. And since that time, the city of Chicago has gone through this turmoil uh, as the police department attempts to reform. But the rank and file in that city, uh, I've been told, is stepping back. All right? So they're, they're not uh, enforcing as they did at one time. So this idea of proactive policing... Uh, they are taking a step back. And I I heard that from representatives of rank-and-file police officers because, again, the police in Chicago, and and we're really seeing this across the country, they are taking a step back. They're not doing uh, all that they used to do, in part because they feel they are not appreciated and their efforts are not appreciated. Uh, And so there, there is a crisis in this country when it comes to law enforcement and how law enforcement interacts with the black community. And what does that mean going forward for law enforcement? So there are some real serious questions here. And all of this is unfolding at the same time that we're seeing spikes in crime in cities across the country. Uh, So these are very troubling times for law enforcement as it tries to respond to the criticism, as it tries in many big cities to reform. So, Jeff, given what you just said, what are the kinds of things that those rank-and-file officials would like to see changed or different? Is it that in the, the communities that they police, they don't necessarily have cooperation from residents there? What are the sorts of concerns that these officers have? 
Well, we talk about what has happened in the last week, uh, the tension uh, that police are feeling, uh, the tension the black community is feeling uh, as a result of the, the shootings, uh, not only in Dallas, of course, but Baton Rouge uh, and in Minnesota. Uh, and so all of that is having impact on, on law enforcement in this country. Again, uh, feeling is one uh, police official told us, feeling like police have a, a target on their back right now. Uh, and, and so uh, this is a point where, yes, law enforcement agencies are trying to reform. Uh, but part of the problem is, and as I alluded to, uh, it's happening at a time when crime is rising. And so reform means changing tactics. Uh, so when you're in a city and you're trying to figure out, well, why is crime spiking? Well, it may be because ch- tactics are changing. Police are not having uh, the interaction that they've had in the past. Uh, with people in the community, uh, the type of interaction that prevents crime from popping up. Um, in addition, and this is another a big issue for law enforcement and lawmakers in this country, uh, there just aren't enough police officers to go around. The reality is with all of the attention that uh, policing, policing is getting these days, it is harder uh, for these police departments across the country to find new recruits. Uh, so there are so many related issues uh, to how law enforcement deals with the black community and the response uh, from law enforcement uh, that it, it really is affecting policing in this country on the ground level in these neighborhoods and in many of these inner city neighborhoods uh, where uh, effective policing tactics are needed the most. Well, there you have it. And ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. What you just heard was a report on the the struggle that police officers have had with race relations, with the consistent killings of African-Americans, unarmed African-Americans, kids, uh, youngsters, one being Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old boy shot to death on a swing in a park alone. Tonight joining us, LaTanya Goldsby, co-founder of Black Lives Matter, the Cleveland chapter, also founder of Black Connect. And uh, LaTanya, thank you so much for being with us tonight. I wanted you to hear that clip. I want to get your thoughts on it as, uh, of course, that was during the Obama administration. uh, And the search for answers were even then uh, for the other mm-hmm. issues uh, that have risen. Give us your thoughts on that. Uh, as people struggle, uh, police officers are struggling, and we say all the time, we know, we know all police officers are not guilty of killing uh, black men, minorities. We know right. that. Uh, we, we, exactly. we actually on this show saluted and honored those who honored the badge. So please, to our listeners out there, uh, we know there are good cops out there, and where would we be without those good police officers that help protect communities all over this nation? So, uh, but tonight we're dealing with the other side of the matter, and that's young people dying every day, one way or fashion, one way or, or, or in, a, in some way or another, uh, that has cost the lives of people, uh, and accountability has not been taken. Latanya, go ahead and, and give us your thoughts on that clip. Uh, and what do you think going forward? How do we even begin to have optimism? One way we have optimism is people like you who are leaders 
and making an impact on this nation. And we salute you for your service as well. But talk to our listeners about that. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, I'm from the old school, sort of say. I was born in the 70s. Um, so I've heard a lot of things. Um, and one that comes to mind now I can remember and recall is one bad apple spoils the bunch. Mm-hmm. So when I hear about folks saying that we know that there are good police officers out there, yes, we do. But when good officers refuse to or continue to remain silent and -hmm. stand behind that blue wall of silence, you are just as bad as those officers that are committing these acts of atrocities. Absolutely. I agree with that. Go ahead. Go ahead. uh, Made some good points. Yes, there there are some recruitment issues that are um, happening across the country. Even here locally in Cleveland, we're having recruitment issues with the police departments. Um, But I think it comes from the long history that has been established within these cities with Mm -hmm. um, law enforcement and the um, communities of color. Um, It's hard to... Again, that old saying goes, you have to give respect in order to earn respect. And when you approach someone in the car and you're calling them out their name or you're being aggressive and, and, you know, that's that's the escalation. Mm -hmm. It's only going to get in there. Nobody likes to be called out their name. Nobody likes to be called the N-word or, you know, a thug or what have you. And I think some of the approach has to do with tactics and we know mm-hmm. that um police officers have their own personal biases we all do and sometimes right. it's hard to you know re- leave those personal biases out of your job performances but that's some of the things that we are requiring that they do um you know like i said again being familiar with the community and engaging with folks, like um, the professor said, getting out the car and getting on the beat. Those are some of those things that will help change the way community officers, police officers deal with communities of color. And one thing that really troubles me when I, as all this stuff was happening, uh, you got folks saying, well, why didn't, they, why didn't they just listen to the police officer? Or, well, the gentleman in South, is it South Carolina, Walter Scott? Yes, you the one that took shots the back? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, you do what the cop says. You got the guy in Minnesota. Orlando uh, Castillo. Who is telling the officer, yes. I have a gun. Now, had he not said, I want, want to criticize either way. Had he not said he had the gun, the cop thinks he's considering it. I'm in fear of my life. Let's shoot him that way. But then when he says, I'm reaching for my wallet to show you. He had the state of mind to tell the officer with his two-year-old daughter, I believe, was in the back seat, says, I have a weapon, but I am licensed to carry this weapon. Uh-huh. I'm letting you know, really to avoid any conflict. Right, right. The kills this man in front of his daughter. So what are, what are parents telling African-American their kids today? Do what the police says. Well, when you do, you, you're liable to get a bullet in the back. If you don't correct, so what? How are communities supposed to react? And they, then they want to criticize a black man for running away from a cop 
because it may be his last stop. You got African Americans getting killed at traffic stops. You got women mm-hmm. I went to Texas. Uh, the officer shot the shot the man in the no, no the, the young lady who it just got promoted. Uh, right, and, got a job. They, they claim she committed suicide. Suicide in the, in the oh. prison. Um, Bland. Yes. Bland. Sandra, Sandra Bland. Bland. That's her name. And I saw the video. The cop dragged Correct. this woman out the car, and she said, "Get mm-hmm. your hands off me! I'm just gonna let right. you touch." I, was, I stated earlier, Latanya, about the Waffle House situation with the African American there, the young lady. She simply asked for the corporate phone number. She was dressed. The dress was a little shorter, you know. But the cops wrestled this woman in her dress on the floor. He puts her his hand down her blouse. Uh-huh. What are you doing? And you wonder why. And I go to your point, Latanya. You're right. The culture has been set in communities that that that, right. that enable this type of behavior. Mm-hmm. The the thing is, you know, uh, Latanya, I grew up in L.A. and uh-huh. uh, you know, back in the I was a teenager in the '80s, so it was it was mm-hmm. bad. But uh, I'm sure, just like you know, in Cleveland, when you know the cops saying, "Well, why are you running?" Well, the response is, why are you chasing me? And you're the one with the gun, <laughs> Billy Club, and the the uh, police flashlight with eight D batteries in it. The reason mm-hmm. I'm running is because you have a reputation of beating brothers down in the street. That's why I'm running. Now, can you mm-hmm. answer why are you chasing me except for the fact I'm a black teenager and because you see me on the street, you thinking something's got to be going on. And, and, and these people that say, well, just do what the cop says. Well, you learn in these different communities where, where the cop, the cop is somebody you've never seen. You're like, you, you're not from my hood. You know, you're not mm-hmm. a guy who's around the corner from me. You, you do what the cop says. It only takes one time to say, okay, you're cordial to the cop. And he say, okay, we'll get against the car. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to check you, make sure you don't have nothing. And then you end up handcuffed. And in the backseat of the car and see where I'm from, the cops used to take, uh, you know, young men of color. They had these places that they called the metals. And in these metals were caves. The police were known uh-huh. for taking you there and beating you on the bottom of your feet with a billy club. And then send you walking five miles back where they took you from barefoot so that you're only so, so that they can say, well, no, the, what happened is he jumped out the car lost his shoes on the way and ran. That's why his feet are bloody and bruised. So these people are saying, well, stop when the police tell you to stop. It all depends on who that officer is. It all depends on what the culture of that police department is. And again, it goes back to accountability. If, if the, um, if that County Sheriff or that police chief, if they don't hold their officers accountable, you end up with people dead in the street and nothing happens because they make one statement, I felt my life was in danger. And mm-hmm. Latanya, and and do you have a comment on that? Yeah, I mean, he's absolutely right. It's it's the culture. You know, our police union here in Cleveland uh was developed out of the riots in Glenville. Um, so that that culture, you know, it's something that carries on within the training, within the policies and practices, 
that they they that they establish within law enforcement that that culture um of that thin blue line you know um I am my brother's keeper you know so when you see these officers that are violating policies and and you know assaulting folks in their community now mind you these are residents of this community they're taxpayers they're registered voters you know so what laws outside of you encountering a criminal you know Tamir didn't do anything wrong and you didn't even give him the opportunity to respond to the supposed commands that you claim you gave him you're talking about two seconds the car was still rolling as you hopped out the car and you hanging out the door like you from the Dukes of Hazard movie I mean like the tactics. Right. Huh? Well, I got you. And Latanya, and I know you wanted to talk a little more in depth about John Crawford. I was just reading over what happened to him. Do you want to get in a discussion on that? I'd like to discuss some of the things here uh, because these are cases you are currently uh, fighting for justice for and calling for accountability. Is that correct? Right, correct. These cases that you're hearing are actually in front of the Department of Justice as we speak. Okay, let's talk a little bit about John Crawford, 22 years old. What did you want to discuss in detail on that? Um, You know, just like Tamir, you know, John Crawford um, went into Walmart on a day that he was going to a family trip. He went in to purchase some items, and just like the current situations with the Waffle House, you know, some white person called the police on him and claimed. Claimed that, right. he was waving a, claimed that he was waving a, a gun in the store at some, at some kids. Um, okay. Police officers responded and opened fire, and John Crawford was murdered. And it says here that, uh, I guess, uh, Richie, Ronald Richie, is the one that called mm-hmm. 911. Uh, but somebody stated that in no time did he wave a gun at anybody, not a sporting goods store. I presume you have BB guns, you have uh, things you take on camping trips and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And shouldn't have, shouldn't have to walk out of a Walmart dead because you're going to meet, going on a trip with your family. Uh, they said the shooting was captured by the store security camera. Crawford was talking on his cell phone while holding the BB pellet air rifle when he was killed. He was on mm-hmm. a cell phone. Which means he he was not threatening anybody. How is he pointing a gun and holding a cell phone at the same time? I was going to say both of his hands are occupied. Exactly. So how do they justify killing this guy? And it shows. It says here that according to Crawford's mother, the video shows the officers fired immediately without giving any huh. verbal commands, without giving Crawford any time to drop the BB gun. Even if he had heard them, the grand jury did not indict the officers. How do you pull up and just kill somebody talking on a cell phone? Or did they use and the fa- Go ahead, Latanya. I was going to say, and it's on video. And it's okay. on video. You have video evidence just that shows black- the entire encounter. That's, that's no wonder you, and I would, look. That's one. This what's tragic is that's one case. That's one. Mm-hmm. You had here, you mentioned Sam Du Bois, forty-three years yeah. old, unarmed, 
fatally shot uh, by Ray Tenting, a University of Cincinnati police officer. This is the gentleman that actually was out of jurisdiction. If I'm not, mm-hmm. if I'm, and he had no business following a vehicle to stop for a traffic stop. My understanding was when the story came out that the campus cops are supposed to call the police if there is an issue. He never made a call. Never. He just decides to play superhero and stop the world from this mad maniac who ran, who had a truck, a, a light out or something. <laughs> right? Yeah. How, how insane is that? And, and shot him in the head. And what's happened to him thus far, Latanya? Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's just, it's, you know, it's baffling, you know, as we talk about these cases and know that these families are still actively seeking and fighting for justice for their loved ones. You know, that's the most frustrating part about being an advocate against police brutality is that you meet these family members and you hear their stories and you, you hear the memories about their loved ones. And then in the end, there's no accountability. In the end, these officers continue to get off every time. Every time. Every time. And you you wonder why, LaTanya, why people have no confidence in the system. No Mm -hmm. confidence. Mm -hmm. You, if I go to a park and shoot a 12-year-old on a swing set with a gun, uh, I'm probably going to get the death penalty. And it's caught on camera, mind you. It's caught on camera. It's shot. You'll probably get now, killed. You're saying I'm out there as a, as a civilian, and there's a 12 year and there's a 12 year on a swing, and I decide to, you know, it looks like you got a gun. Let me go ahead and cap him. Let's shoot him. Do you think there's going to be any sympathy for me? No. At all. No. Not in case no. you're white. I mean, that's what happened with Zimmerman. It, right? would, it would be on the every news station. African and don't let the boy on the swing be white. Right. I am a dead man. Well, I mean, look at look at the, look at these two cases. You know, you look at you look at like for instance, Alton Sterling. The police officers were struggling with him in front of the store, and shot him. And my understanding is he shot him while he was sitting on his chest. The man was unarmed. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that was video of that. George Zimmerman shoots Tamir Rice. No, I mean uh, Trayvon Martin. Excuse yeah. me, Trayvon Martin. Uh-huh. After being told by police officers nine one one not to follow him, and he did anyway. But Tanya, let me let me ask you a question. You said something earlier that stuck with me, and we're going to get into that. And uh, you say you come out of criticism. I've heard the criticism on all the national networks. I've heard it from this administration. I've heard it from people at the Department of Justice. We've heard it from everybody that Black Lives Matter uh, is a, a you know whenever cops were killed. Well, who was Black Lives Matter behind it? Absolutely not. And <laughs> you said you deal with those criticisms. Latanya, how do you deal with that and continue the same passion and fight to seek justice? I, I mean, because you know what? It's not like we don't hear it. How do you deal with that? You know what? Uh, I, I just love my people, you know, and we've endured so much as as a race, as 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 people, to be here in 2018, 
and to see the continuation of these atrocities and this oppression that our that our people are under. You know, how can you not be involved? How can you not be active? How can you not be out here fighting for black liberation? Um, you know, it's I myself am raising a black son. I have three black grandsons. I cannot afford to sit back and watch another child die at the hands of a police officer. You know, it's it's bad enough the circumstances that our children are growing up in. You know, with the with the education system being the way it is, with with housing and and you know the gentrification of our communities and how these so-called corporate entities can just come in and wipe out a whole entire community. You know, mm-hmm. it, there's so much that that is happening every day in the black community that folks should be out in protest every day. Every I day. With, I agree with you. Um, and Latanya, you have a GoFundMe account. Tell the folks about it. How can we get involved? How can we donate? What do we do? Uh, what's the? How do we get out there and, and get, get get our folks involved? Yes. Well, actually, after you know everything that happened with Tamir, the murder of my grandson—I'm I'm sorry, the murder of my son-in-law, Lord. Um, my son himself. My son was shot. Um. So there's been a multitude of different things that happened. Um, the folks that owned the property that I went into, black homeowners, as we see this happens across the country, um, had their property stolen right from up under them through a, a forfeiture through a, brand, through a bank, and the property went into foreclosure, which, which meant I end up having to move out of the, the property. Um, so in the course of that happening, um, you know, just – a lot of other issues just happened. So, you know, my um, family chapter friends and, you know, my mentors said that I should create a GoFundMe to, you know, relieve some of the stress that I was up under. So that's what that is for, um, just rebuilding and relocating. Um, one of our chapter members had to relocate out of the state because the pressure from police around our organization had got so heavy. Um, I myself was rear-ended coming from a, a organized action that we had organized in honor of Tamir um, on his anniversary. We did a 12-hour sit-in at the police station where Timothy Lohman worked at. And leaving that action, I was rear-ended um, wow. by a white man who looked me dead in my face and took off and took off on the freeway. So of course being um after holding a, a action like that for twelve hours in that police station, you can't go back to that exact same police station and be and I, I need help. <laughs> um I was just rear ended at the corner of your or your street. Um, you know, so my I lost my vehicle. Um so there was just a, a lot of things that were going on. Um, at that time, um, the, 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 go ahead. I want to share something that uh, was online on on your GoFundMe uh, account. Yeah. It says for taking. This was seven months ago, but she states, "Thank you for taking on this fight for justice and equality for all. Your dedication is remarkable, and your strength is to be commended. God bless you and your family as you go through these troubling times. The struggle is real. Black Lives Matter." Another one says here, thank you for the important work you are doing. Please do what you can to take care of yourself. Your voice needs to be heard by as many people 
as possible. Stay strong. You're an inspiration to all in the struggle. So uh, let me tell you, you're making an impact. And what can a just cause and AJC Radio do? Uh, also, not only the GoFundMe to, uh, to do that, but what else can we do uh, to help you and to partner with you in any way we can with Black Lives Matter? What can we do? Um, here, um, you all can reach out to us. We have our, our Twitter pages always. We're always on there. It's at BLM underscore 216. Again, that's at BLM underscore 216. Um, we're actively engaging around all type of issues here locally in Cleveland. Um, we're still involved with the consent decree. Um, we're taking on some health issues. Now we're currently organizing around creating reform within the Children's Family Services Department. Um, we've had several cases where children under the age of five have been abused and murdered by their own parents. So we're actively engaging with um, CPS and our county executive in organizing some um, reforms that will be put in place and ultimately result in legislation where caseworkers who are not um, actively reporting child abuse are are charged with a crime or uh, conspiracy or complicitness within that child's murder. So we're engaging in a lot of issues. You all can get involved by, um, you know, like again, I said, checking out our Twitter page and our, we're active on Facebook as well, BLM Cleveland. Um, Black Lives Matter Cleveland. You can find us on there as well. But um, yes, we're definitely looking to link up with you all and and spreading these these issues abroad and um, creating some grassroots organizing efforts with you all. Well, Latonya, this is what I like to offer to you in the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, maybe to have a show bringing chapters together uh, on a show where we can discuss what's happening in communities everywhere. And join together and put the positive word out about Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter. Good things that you yes. What you just ran off to me, those are things that impact lives forever. Exactly. And I'm telling you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you my information uh, as we've, we've had the opportunity to communicate on Twitter. But you're going to get all of my information, how to reach me, how to contact us, because I'll tell you what. Anytime you need a platform here, we want to give it to you. Anytime. And uh, I that's, think with the that are going on. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I said that's truly appreciated. Thank you. No, and we're going to do that. We want to join uh, hands with you. A special thanks to Kathy Lewis, Nick Taylor, Don Bryant. Those are the folks that actually commented saying, keep doing what you're doing. So we know without, without a doubt, whenever you're doing something good, there's going to be folks that are going to fight you on it. It doesn't matter what it is. And I can tell you what, we will have a voice. We will speak about Black Lives Matter uh, on a consistent basis on this network. Uh, let folks know, look, these folks are to be taken seriously. And I respect you so much. I'm sorry for the things you've had to encounter. Uh, but it's about putting the pieces back together and continuing this fight. You, I tell you what, two words come to me, three words, this is personal. Uh, and that's what it is to you. And when it's personal, uh, the voice will never, ever be silent. I appreciate you so very much for joining us tonight and taking some time out of your schedule. Thank you so much. I appreciate you extending your platform. Okay. And we're going to talk more because uh, I think there's more, much more to say about what you're doing there in Cleveland. Okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. You enjoy yeah. the rest of your evening. And, and uh, we're going to be in touch, I promise. 
Thank you. You do the same. Okay. Take care. And there you Bye. have it. Okay, Latanya, thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Black Lives Matter Cleveland chapter co-founder Latanya Goldsby. William, your thoughts on her? Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, it's time for folks to get mobile to get this stuff going. Absolutely, and like you said, this is this is personal for her. And uh, but she realizes that there's a fight that's needed. And um, I love the question that you ask as far as the, you know, adversity dealing with you know people, um, you know, saying was well, Black Lives Matter behind that. And she said, you know, I love my people. And love does, you know, it trumps a multitude of hate. It it trumps, you know, every bad thing that could come at you uh, by reaching out with love and compassion and saying, you know, this is not, this is a movement of awareness. It's not a movement of violence. It's not a movement that condones violence in any way. And it's important that people understand that this is about bringing the awareness to these situations. These cases that we've talked about here in the past you know, we've seen them in the past five years, just, you know, from Philando Castillo to Walter Scott to Tamir Rice to Trayvon Martin uh, to Michael Brown, Elton Sterling, you know, Freddie Gray. You know, in Freddie Gray's case, there were six police officers involved. Five of them were black and five were in white. This man's taken into custody and doesn't make it to to uh, to the facility and, um, you know, dies. And, and, and now you're talking about here, a situation where you have African-American police officers, white police officers, this man is in your custody and care and doesn't make it. And Black Lives Matter is there saying, listen, this wall of silence, this police brutality, this has got to stop. This behavior has got to stop. And she said also, she said, you know, as far as bringing the police, policing your own environment. That, that would be such a huge thing when you think about uh, this barrier. You know, these people are policing their, you know, outside of their neighborhood, and they, and they can leave. They don't have any association with, with the people that they're policing. They have no uh, frame of reference of, of where this child or this family or anything. Yeah, I mean, and and you and you said it right. I mean, when you talk about accountability, and that's the same thing that uh, uh, the professor uh, Fegan was talking about when he said that, hey, uh, what you know, what Latanya is doing is a great thing because you got to have activism and you got to have uh, people out there protesting. No, absolutely right. And uh, we turn the page now. Very special thanks, really quick, to Latanya Goldsby and to Professor Fegan. We appreciate you joining the show tonight. And discussing these issues. Well, we go right into some other lives that matter. The RP5 wrongfully convicted. Who are they? David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, and Clinton Stewart. Their lives matter as well. Wrongfully targeted by a system targeting five African Americans and one Italian American in a way that is unprecedented. Going after attorney Gwendolyn Lawson without cause. This case, federal judge Christine Arguello apparently doesn't think their lives matter at all with a frivolous complaint issued against Gwen Lawson and came back after a thorough investigation that it had absolutely 
no merit. I'll tell you right now, what doesn't have merit is the untimely release of Gary Walker being released from custody. One of the, used to be one of the RP, based upon lies and untruths. The investigation that took place regarding attorney Gwen Lawson, Gwendolyn Lawson, was as a result of a biased opinion, a biased attitude by a federal judge sitting on a bench doing things that are just unacceptable. The question tonight is, if there was no merit with the outrageous claim against an officer of the court, how could there possibly be merit in an abuse of habeas corpus proceedings that was nothing but a witch hunt, an attack on a pastor, attack on a church, and to opine on the religious practices of Pastor Rose Banks at Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, that also without merit, as well as the release of Gary Walker, make no mistake about it, the RP5 should have been released, but not under false statements. The RP5 had con- have continued to maintain their integrity and their honesty uh, in regards to the wrongful conviction of these men. That is the major point to be made here tonight. What else has federal judge Christine Aguayo done from the bench? There are multiple abuses of power, abuse of protocol from the bench that federal judge Christine Aguayo engaged in. After a thorough investigation of an attack on an officer of the court, judge, your complaint has no merit that would stand up to definitely believe, nor did your abuse of habeas was justified. The RP5, David Banks, Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart. We continue to fight for justice. We continue to take the mask and uncover the abuse of a federal judge. This is Agency Radio to be continued, but you didn't know about the RP5. Good night, America. We'll see you next time. Protesters swarmed a Starbucks in Philadelphia Sunday following the controversial arrest of two black men. Meg Oliver has more on this. Dozens of protesters showed up to this Philadelphia Starbucks Sunday after two black men were arrested inside late last week. Neil Himes is Starbucks Vice President of Operations. We know that we have work to do. We have worked very closely with the community here in Philadelphia. It literally breaks my heart. Lauren Wimmer, who initially represented the men, would not identify them. She says they were waiting for this man, Andrew Yaffe, to arrive for a business meeting. Wimmer says the men were in Starbucks for less than 15 minutes. 
these guys were doing what people do every single day. They were having a meeting and they were undoubtedly singled out because of their race. During that time, police say the men attempted to use the restroom without buying anything, which is against Starbucks policy. When an employee asked them to leave, they refused and she called 911. When they were arrested, they were taken out essentially without incident. There was no harm done to them. Philadelphia Police Commissioner Richard Ross went on Facebook Live insisting his officers did nothing wrong. And three different occasions, the officers asked the males politely to leave the location because they were being asked to leave by employees because they were trespassing. Instead, the males continued to refuse. Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson released a statement apologizing to the men, saying... Starbucks stands firmly against discrimination or racial profiling. Philadelphia's Mayor Jim Kenney says he was heartbroken by what appears to, quote, exemplify what racial discrimination looks like in 2018. He's calling for a review of Starbucks policies and the need for implicit bias training.